Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Television Archive. The show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved medium. My name is Thomas Michael Clark, and this is Fringe. Today we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 16, titled Unleashed. Okay, so I should say before we get into this... Uh, so this is the start of a weekend-long, maybe more, who knows, we'll see how fast I go, recording session, where I just have to, like, bank two weeks' worth of television archives before RTX at Home happens, and I'm just spending all my time on that. So... If you start to notice me go slightly insane over the next, uh, ten episodes or so, that would be why. Because I'm in this constant hate loop of watch, take notes, record, edit, 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 over and 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 over again. Until the end of time. Or at least until I get those ten episodes under my belt. So, yeah. That little bit of housekeeping out of the way. Let's talk about this episode. Okay. This episode. My god. I believe that this might just be the most underrated episode of all of Fringe. This episode, it is not talked about in the fringe verse a lot. Uh, it is not as beloved as a bunch of other shows, uh, as a bunch of other episodes of this series. Uh, in fact, if you go to IMDb and look at this episode, it actually has a relatively low rating compared to... The rest of the series. Uh, the average episode of this series tends to have a rating of 8.0 or higher. And this is like at a 7.8. Like, it's not that... Uh, it, it's not that well regarded, at least comparatively speaking. But, yet, It is a masterpiece. I genuinely believe it is just an absolute goddamn perfect hour of television. It is absolutely amazing. Uh, It's quite possibly the best filler episode in all of Fringe. And it is certainly one of my favorites, at the very least of season one, if not of the entire show. This episode is perfection, and it's amazing, and I love... Every single thing about it. Uh, One of the main reasons being, I mean, yeah, some of the typical hallmarks of Fringe are there. Like, you got the investigatory stuff, and you got all those dynamics continuing to evolve and all that. But, at its bare bones, when you strip everything away and go to its skeletal structure, they basically just made a monster movie. 
Fringe literally just made a 50-minute monster movie with this episode. And it's a brilliant monster movie. It really, really is. Uh, It does a great job of building this terror, building this suspense. Uh, The creature they have to go after this entire time is incredibly horrifying. And they do a very, very good job of taking the lessons of Alien and Jaws and not showing you the creature full stop until it absolutely has to. And even then, like, it keeps as much below the belt as possible. Like, you don't even see the full creature until... Oops, did not silence my phone, idiot. You don't even see the full creature until it's killed. Like, they definitely... They leave it up to the imagination and let your anxieties run wild for the entire episode. And I always love when... A good monster movie does that. Like, an like again, an alien or a Jaws. Those are the two that do this perfectly. And it definitely follows in that tradition. Uh, I love what it says about the ethics of genetic experimentation. Uh, and the ethics of sort of violating the laws of nature. Uh, and the consequences of that. Consequence is a... Big thing throughout this episode. And it goes into Walter's arc this episode, which is another reason, probably the main reason why I think this is among Fringe's best episodes, at least for this first season, where he's learning that there are consequences to his actions. Like, he goes around and he just does things, and he serves himself most of the time, and he doesn't really think about how it'll affect other people. It doesn't, he doesn't really affect, he doesn't really think about how it will affect everything beyond him. He just sort of jumps the gun. Uh, He did this even before St. Clair's with uh, his work with William Bell and his work uh, in that Harvard lab. I mean, hell, most of what, (laughs) most of what we've seen in this show so far can in some way be traced back to him, whether it's something he directly created or something that's related to work he was doing or something that's similar to work he was doing. Like, he doesn't think about any of this. He just doesn't. And what's so fantastic, it continues to go into that, even in his day-to-day life now, where he has, like, the ear and the omelet and... All that stuff that Peter's yelling at him about. And then this creature shows up. And he immediately recognizes it as way too similar to something he was working on. In fact, he spends a lot of this episode under the assumption that it was him. Under the assumption that this was his monster. This was what he created. And someone took his work and made it into this horrifying monster that killed seven people throughout the course of the episode. And we see Walter's just utter despair at seeing lives wrecked by this creature that he may have birthed. Uh, By seeing Charlie's life at risk by this creature that he birthed, quite possibly. More on the Charlie Francis angle later. Like, seeing Walter in that state of, oh shit. What I do has consequences. Seeing Walter, like, finally get it. Finally fully understand, like, 
My actions have consequences beyond me. Things I do have consequences beyond this lab. What I did back then and what I continue to do now can hurt and is hurting people. Now, eventually we figure out that it was completely unrelated to Walter's research and that it was another geneticist and actually the person who initially inspired Walter to do it. So in in many ways, like, this creature birthed his research, not the other way around. Uh, if you really think about it, we eventually find that out. But throughout the time, it it, it kind of, like, festers. And it gnaws at you. And it gnaws at Walter. And John Noble, holy crap, John Noble, sells it perfectly. He gives such a good performance in this episode. Well, let's face it. He gives a masterful performance in the entire show. He's quite possibly the best thing about this series. But John Noble in this episode in particular is ingenious. Is absolutely goddamn ingenious. And we especially, like, we lead up to that sewer sequence where, like, he locks himself in and... Drinks the poison. More on that sequence later. I'll dive into that a lot because it's really, really amazing. And Peter, when Peter flat out says, like, hey, it wasn't you, it wasn't you, it wasn't you. Why are you doing this? You know it wasn't you. And Walter's like, yeah, but it could have been. Like, this could have been my creature. It's not my creature, but it could have been. Like, so I have to undo this. And then this episode also does an amazing job. Of getting me to give a shit about Charlie Francis. Like, previously, up until this episode, Charlie Francis was either background or moral support. And it was good as that. Like, Charlie Francis was a fun addition to the cast, and it was great to see him sort of act as, like, kind of the everyman, kind of the Joe Schmo, kind of the guy who shows up and is like, Oh, God, okay, this is a thing. I'm gonna not think about that. And just, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give exposition. I'm gonna act in my normal FBI capacity. I'll maybe help out my friend when she needs it. But for the most part, like, I'm, I'm just, I'm normal man. I am normal man, nothing guy. <laughs> and it was kind of nice to see that. Uh, I joked, I joked a few episodes back about how... <laughs> He just decided to go with it. Just decided to not think about anything too hard. Uh, but beyond that, we never really learned anything about him. We never had any emotional crutch with him. And this episode, not only do we have the larvae growing in his gut that are going to pop out of him at any moment, which... Eh, eh, Okay, uh, between watching this episode and recording this, I did eat dinner, which was probably not a smart plan. Um, now the image is coming back into my head. Like, the, the, the mag, the larvae, like, just popping out of the dead body's stomach. Like, oh, it's a disgusting visual. Uh, and they do that so well. Whoever came up with that, and whoever, like, had the balls to make that shot, like, just, I hate you. I hate you forever. <laughs> You made me look at that. <laughs> uh, but it's a really, really grody shot. And it's this great, like, it has to be that visceral. 
Like, I'm joking about I hate you for making that shot, but, like, it had to be that. It had to be that gross. It had to be that in your face. It had to be that disgusting. Because then, when we find out the same thing's happening to Charlie, when we figure that out, immediately it just... It's like a light bulb goes off in your head of, like, oh, no... Like, and you have that image branded in your memory, and you're like, I don't want to ha- see that happen to Charlie Francis. I don't want to see that happen to Charlie Francis. I don't want to see that happen to Charlie Francis. So not only is that they're, they're, at, they're that angle of Charlie Francis literally, like, just on the table fighting for his life, like, just about to die from these larvae bursting from his stomach... Actually, I compared this to Alien earlier. It really does feel like the chestburster scene in Alien. It really does kind of have that quality to it. Uh, in fact, Alien very much, uh, very much rooted in that fear of male pregnancy. Uh, and Charlie Francis does directly come up with a joke of like, "Are you saying I'm pregnant?" Like he does make that joke, which is very funny. Like, oh my god. So, um. If I look up the writers of this episode, and I find that they're not massive fans of the movie Alien, I will be shocked. I will absolutely be shocked, because there's so... I'm just now realizing there's so many illusions, so many similarities to Alien in this movie. I love this episode more now. (laughs) I don't know why that makes me love the episode more, but it does. Uh, But you have that, but also they very wisely waited for this episode... To show Charlie Francis' home life. To show him with his wife. And, like, this starts for him, like, just... He's having a normal day sitting down with his wife. Decompressing from a very weird day of getting attacked by a giant hybrid monster. And then Olivia shows up and is like, Um, you got larvae growing in your stomach and you're gonna die. Like, and he has to go through this without his wife ever knowing. Like, his wife never knows what's going on with him. And... Like, she kind of has to go through this entire episode in the dark, and so you kind of have that extra gut punch of, like, I can't tell you this, it's classified. Like, you kind of have that extra gut punch of the, this is happening, and because it has a classified sticker on it, I can't tell her that this is happening to me, and I can't, like, show her what's going on. Also, I have a feeling Charlie just didn't want her to know even after that, but, like, and then you get that call where Charlie calls his wife uh, while they're going after the creature and is having what he has no reason to believe isn't the final conversation he'll have with her. And, like, just laughing at the terrible joke and having this, what he thinks might be his last moment with his wife. Like, it's... It's heartbreaking. It's really, really heartbreaking. This is the episode that made me care about Charlie Francis, like, quite honestly. It really, really is. Like, it's just a perfect episode. And I haven't even gotten to an actual breakdown of the actual plot points. This is more of just a general me talking about why this episode is so perfect. Uh, You have that excellent opening scene. uh, That excellent opening sequence with... uh, the animal rights activist trashing the uh, testing facility and breaking all the animals out and then opening that one door thinking, oh, there must be another animal behind here and finding this monster and finding this horrifying beast that, like, 
kills a security guard right in front of them and then kills one of their friends. And then they run, they drive, they go down the road and then the monster catches up with them and crash and like crashes their car and mauls them. And it's just like this really visceral opening sequence. By the way, I also love the bookends where the first end is Olivia reading a story to Ella. And Ella being like, are monsters real? And Olivia's like, no, they're not. And then very, very end, last scene of the episode is Olivia just coming back, laying down in her bed, getting ready to sleep, and then, like, not being able to close her eyes, and then turning around, turning the light on, and then going to sleep. Like, I I love those bookends. I love that beginning. I love that ending. Those are the perfect ways to start and end an episode like this. It's bone-chilling stuff. It really, really is. Uh, but we're investigating the animal rights activists, and we're investigating this lab that they were breaking into. Eventually, we find out that's where they broke into. We get this whole subplot with uh, Dr. Swift, where he's, like, refusing to say anything, refusing to say anything, refusing to say anything. We find out his son's missing and was one of the kids. Uh, is that fourth body that they can't find from the crash? Four drinks, three bodies. Uh, his kid's the fourth body, and then Olivia just charges in. And is like, hey, five people are dead, one people's infected, and then he just like, one person's infected, and then he just breaks down and is like, it wasn't five people, it was seven, and just breaks down and like, confesses about the guard, and confesses about his son, and all that. And then they take him away, and he gives them a list of all the animals that are a part of this thing. And, of course, there's the inciting incident, the scene where the animal control people come in and respond to this call. And Charlie Francis investigates, like, whatever was happening with them because they get reported missing, having responded to a monster sighting. Sounds a little bit too close to what we're actually dealing with. Turns out it is. And, like, Charlie gets attacked by the monster. Like, you see the scorpion tail just, uh, or, is it a scorpion tail? Yeah, it, it looks, it looks like a scorpion tail. I could be wrong. I could be just totally misrepresenting. The tail, let's say, uh, the tail just dangles behind him, and then the creature attacks, and Olivia saves him at the last possible second. Turns out, uh, fate worse than death there. I also, I totally forgot to write this in my notes, but that playground sequence, oh, nothing, nothing terrifies me more than watching a child about to crawl into the clutches, quite literally crawl into the clutches of, like, a horrifying beast. And, like, the kid's mother, like, uh, getting off the phone and saving him at the last possible moment. Like, oh, Oh, it's horrifying. Like, it really is. It's, like, the most unsettling thing. And then eventually, all of this leads to the sewers. We realize uh, the monster's going through the sewers. After we find out that one of the components is Bat, Walter's like, okay, uh, since Bat is essentially the bonding, bonding agent, the immune system keeps it so that all these different animals, they're, like, internal organs don't conflict with one another. They don't shut down one another. Because uh, bats can carry, like, hundreds of diseases without ever showing symptoms. 
means a lot uh means a lot more in the era of covid cuz like this whole thing started with like a bat didn't it it was like a bat like a bat just like i don't know coughed on someone and like suddenly we're all in lockdown yeah I've gotten better with age yay uh, in all the wrong ways. Uh, <laughs> uh, but basically we have this plan because bats are also very maternal. And Walter decides like, okay, since bat is the bonding agent, the thing that the glue that holds this thing together, it's quite possible that bat is the dominant factor. And bats are very, 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 very maternal. So we just go into the sewers because we know that's where it is. We place some of its young from the other guy uh, down in there, and we wait, and we wait for the creature to strike, and then we kill it, and then we take some of its blood, inject it into Charlie, and that will sort of create this no longer desire to feed from the parasites, and the parasites will just shrivel and die. So Walter goes in, and I love this moment where they're just sitting around waiting for the creature, and then Walter's like, I got a tinkle. And he goes off to use the facilities, and then closes the door and locks it behind him, takes the poison, and is like, okay, uh, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna kill this creature. If I fail, well, I'm poisoned. It'll only be killing itself, at which point, uh, you take the blood and give it to Charlie Francis. Uh, this'll kill me in an hour. Okay, bye. And then Walter, like, while Peter and Olivia are banging on the door, Walter's just going down, like, singing that song about the lion's den, which is, like, just an extra level of unsettling. And then we have this moment where Walter gets cornered, finally comes face-to-face with this creature, and he's just like, dear God... Like, he's just, like, in complete and utter shock. He worked on something like this. And even he's like, my god, this thing's a monstrosity. Like, even he can't freaking handle it. And we finally see the creature in this moment, and it is horrifying. It is grotesque. It is a very scary-looking creature. And by the way, for network television in 2008, these are pretty damn good effects on the creature. I mean... They're not like again, like this isn't like a big budget modern day film. It's a tel- it's a network television series in 2008. The budget's not going to be that big, and so it's not going to be flawless, but like damn, by those standards, by that scale, this is pretty mind-blowing. By that scale, this is pretty fucking amazing. And like they kill the creature. Uh Walter actually gets in the final blow. When Peter shows up and the creature goes after Peter, and we see it, like, uh, just all laid out on the ground, we finally get, like, the big profile shot, and it's just, like, there's so much going on on this creature's body, like, it is, like I said, this grotesque, massive, very intimidating thing, and then Walter puts in that crack of, like, hey, uh, quick question, when I, uh... When I ingested the poison and said it would uh, kill me in an hour, did anyone happen to notice the time? 
<laughs> like no one checked their watch at that moment. <laughs> uh, but Walter's fine, and they get the blood. They inject it into Charlie. Uh, the larvae do the thing where it's like, oh, mother's blood. I don't have to feed anymore. Mother's here. And then they just, like, shrivel and die. Uh, by the way, they do such a good job of portraying uh, the larvae inside Charlie Francis. Like, they they sweat up Kirk Ace Veto, and they make him look... They make Kirk Ace Veto look very much like a dying man. Like, he, he is very, very flawless in his performance, and also in, like, a lot of makeup stuff. Like, they make him look progressively worse and worse and worse. And, of course, you have the larvae that are, like, acting like parasites... And basically causing his organs to shut down. So it basically looks like what you'd expect that to look like on the outside. Uh, but Charlie Francis is safe. Everything's good. The creature's dead. Everything is totally fine. And then, like I said, we get that like last little bookend of Olivia not being able to sleep with the, sleep with the light off. Just sleeping with the light on like a child. Because like now she knows monsters are real. Like it's such a poetic ending. I... I love this episode. It's so, so perfect. It's so, so amazing. This is such an underrated episode of person, not person of interest, of Fringe. This is such an underrated episode of Fringe. It's so incredible. It's so brilliant. I love everything about it. It's amazing. It's absolutely goddamn amazing. Uh, you know, if I have to do a uh, weekend-long hellish hate loop of recording 10 television archive episodes almost entirely in a row. Glad I started with this one. Glad I started with this one. Uh, and we only have four episodes left in this season, so get ready for, uh, get ready for some stuff. Uh, if I remember, remember correctly, this might be the last filler episode of season one. I could be wrong about that. If there are any more, it's only one more. Like, there are very, very few fillers left. It is mostly, it's mostly ZFT shit. Like, it's mostly ZFT shit from the, here on out. Or at least ZFT-related shit. At least ZFT-adjacent shit from this point out. Uh, but yeah, this episode is so, so good. Uh, if you like this... Favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives, so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's simple as just a push of a button on the Anchor app. I'll play those on the show from time to time if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark. Pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. If you become a patron, you can also get access to the Television Archive Supplemental, which I will be putting up there once every month. Or, if that's not work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, tomorrow we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 17. Talk to you then.